This is a Woodside Church podcast. Hi everyone, Um, wish you a very, very happy and blessed new year. And I presume all of you have had a fantastic time of feasting and celebrating and spending time with family. Yeah? Brilliant, okay. We've had a fantastic time as well. And look, I'm wearing my Christmas gift from my wife. And um, it had to be cut down to my size. <laughs> I don't know whether I've overdone it or not, but, you know, presume it's okay, yeah? <clears throat> Thank you. So, today we are launching a new series called The God First Series. And my topic is First Love. And uh, so I'm going to share a story with you. Yeah? It's a love story. Would you like to hear it? Uh, It's my love story. Would you like to hear it? Good. Okay. So this story started when I was uh, 18 years of age. Uh, It was 1983. I had entered medical school in Kerala, India, South India. And uh, within the first few weeks... um, People from a Bible study group based in the, you know, in the medical college came and you know, made connections with me and my friends, and they invited us to this Bible study group, which they had going you know, on a weekly basis. And so someone handed me a Bible and um, encouraged me to read the Bible every day. And they also said, you know, do a simple prayer. Uh, pray God, if you're God and if you're true, if you're here then please reveal yourself to me. And I thought, okay, that's a harmless prayer. You know, no harm in praying such a prayer. So I did pray that and started reading the Bible. And um, by this time, before coming into medical school, when I was in school, I was in a Hindu mission school, and um, I had plenty of exposure to Hinduism and Buddhism, and I had read a lot of Hindu texts and you know, Buddhist texts, and, uh, but I hadn't encountered God. I was a seeker, you know. I was, you know, searching for God, but I hadn't found God in those sort of systems. And uh, when I started my research or my study into the Bible, I quickly realized that the Bible was different to the other religious texts that I had encountered. And also the God of the Bible was different to the other gods that I had encountered. Now I'm going to give you two reasons why the God of the Bible is so different to the other gods. I can give you a number of reasons, but that will be beyond the scope of my preach today. So I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one is this. He, the God of the Bible, is interested in everyone. His message is for everyone. And that comes through consistently throughout the Bible. Now, for those of you who don't know the Bible, the Bible is called the Book of Books. It was written approximately over a 1,500-year period. And, um, you know, the first book is the book of Genesis. The last book is the book of Revelation. And right from Genesis to Revelation, the message of God is consistent. Okay? Now, in Genesis 12, after the fall, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, the first uh, couple, they sin and uh, they, they disobey and sin enters the world. We call it the fall. And uh, God is now 
trying to redeem mankind, to restore everything, and this is his work of redemption is starting, and he's calling a man called Abraham, and this is what he tells Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the message at that time, you know, was, it is for everyone. My message, my invitation, my blessing is for every person in this world. Then when Jesus came, Jesus often taught using parables, stories, you know, to get the message across. And in Matthew 22, he said like this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who, you know, threw a wedding banquet for his son, okay? And so the messengers or servants were sent out with invitations, and they went into the highways, the country lanes, the by lanes and everything, and invited everyone in. Everyone was invited, okay? And Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of heaven is like. Everyone is invited to the party. Everyone is welcome. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, you know, where he commissions his disciples, we call it the Great Commission. And this is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is that he's telling his disciples, take this good news. We call it the gospel. Gospel is good news. What is the good news? The good news is that God has come and paid the price for the sins of whole mankind. For everyone in this world, God has paid the price. That is a good news. And he's saying, take it to all the nations. Take it to everyone. This message is for everyone. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, you know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the bride is a church, are saying, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty say, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So the invitation is for everyone, come, come and meet God. You know, come and drink freely from the fountain of life. Come into the presence of God. You're freely invited, come. And that's a message. It's a message for everyone. And the second one is this. So he's interested in everyone. His message is for everyone. The second, you know, uh, you know, key point is he loves, the God of the Bible loves everyone. He loves everyone. You see, the God of the Bible puts no qualifications on his love. We find that when Jesus came, he welcomed everyone. He connected with the poor. He connected with the rich. He connected with people of high standing in society. He connected with people who had no worth in society. He connected with people like the tax collectors who were Horrible people in those days. Not so these days, even though they trouble people like you and me a little bit. But they are doing the job, okay? And they are doing it within the rules of this land, okay? And, um, but he also connected with prostitutes. They had no worth. They had no value in society, okay? So he connected with everyone, and he welcomed everyone into the kingdom of God. So the love of God is complete, it's absolute, it's regardless of your limitations and my limitations. And Apostle Paul, speaking of this love, says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, while we were still in wrong, while we have still had this disease called sin, while we were separated from God because of sin, God did everything for us. He came into this world, he gave himself up on the cross, he emptied himself, and then he rose again and said, the door to heaven is now open, come, okay? And Jesus, speaking of this love, this could be classed as a key verse in the Bible, okay? A key verse that explains, you know, the, the astounding love, the amazing love of God. This is what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now sometimes you're listening to these verses for the first time and then thinking, oh, what a terrible person God the Father is. He's sending his son to die. Okay? But that is not how it is. Okay? So... If you know a little bit about the Bible, the God of the Bible, you know, the God of the Bible has revealed himself as a community of three persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one of them had to come. And God had to pay the price. And it was Jesus who came. He came to pay the price. And this is what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay? And the next verse is even you know, more relevant. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, you and me can condemn people, can judge people, but not so with the God of the Bible. He says, I do not condemn the world. I do not condemn anyone in this world. Okay? I love. That is what I do. I love. And what I do is to save everyone in this world. Everyone is welcome. And so my study continued. And as a result of my study, I understood a few key things. Number one, I realized very quickly that I'm a sinner. Okay? Now, sometimes you are here for the first time and I'm thinking, that doesn't apply to me. What does that mean? I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a decent person. Okay? That's, that's, that's fair enough. Okay? This doesn't apply to you. It only applies to those who come, you know, you know, before God and to whom the word of God applies. Okay? But that's what the word of God says, you know. I did not become a sinner by committing sins. I did commit sins because I had this disease called sin, okay? You see, I'm a medic, you know? People come to me with all, you know, with lung problems mainly. That's my, my, my trade, you know, my lungs are my specialty. And they come to me with cough and breathlessness and all of those things, these things. They have these symptoms because they have disease, okay? The symptom is a manifestation of the disease. So, so it's likewise... The things that we do are a manifestation of what is wrong within us. The first couple, Adam and Eve, sinned, and that became the disobeyed, and that became like a disease in them that then spread to all the subsequent generations. To every child that is born in this world has got this disease. It's like an inherited thing that all of us have received. We are helpless. We can't do anything about it. Okay? And, you know, we have this disease, and what we do is a manifestation of that disease, okay? So when I realized I was a sinner, I quickly, in my room, I 
I said, God, I'm a sinner. I've done all these wrong things in my life. Please forgive me. Okay? This is called confession. I didn't go to confess to a priest. I didn't go confess to anyone else. I just did that directly to God in my own room, within the four walls of my room. And I felt reassured, felt that God had forgiven me. Okay? Because he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then I realized, number two, God of the Bible is truly God. You see, I told you I had been searching for God, and I hadn't found God in other systems, other faiths. But when I read the Bible, I found that the God of the Bible and the Bible were so internally consistent, okay, beautiful, okay, and uh, no contradictions, okay, and uh, I found that the God of the Bible was the only person who was perfect in all of his ways, who was consistent in his words and actions. And I understood, this is God. This is God. This is how God should be. This is God. I understood. And as a result of that, I started worshipping him. I said, God, I'm happy. You know, you're God. I love you. I praise you. Okay? I was happy to say that. And I was proud to call him my God. I was, you know, if anyone asked me, oh, this is my God. I was proud to say that. But soon, I hit a roadblock. Okay? Soon I hit a roadblock. Now, before I come to that, you know, those of you who are listening to me for the first time, you might be thinking, how can I know this, this God is true? Okay? And I am not hoping to, you know, get this message across to you in, in a half an hour's preach. This is why we have this Alpha course that we are launching in February. Okay? So if you are here for the first time, or if you are exploring, if you are researching, can I encourage you to come and attend this Alpha course. It is for you. There's a meal, so you don't have to prepare a meal for that evening. Okay, that helps. Everything little helps. And then we encourage you to come and ask all the questions that you have. Throw all your questions at the leaders there. Even now, there are so many leaders sitting here. Ask them, you know. Flood them with questions. Trouble them. You know, give them a hard time. Okay? And that's how you research. That's how you learn. Okay? So ask them, but... We are having this for you to help you on your journey. And then I said I soon hit a roadblock. What was that? I soon realized that the God, this God of the Bible, wanted me to come under his lordship, to accept him as the Lord of my life. Wow. See, I was around 20 years of age at that time, in the prime of my life. I was the boss of my life till then. I had everything lined out beautifully. You know, I had some nice, fantastic plans, dreams. I wanted to be this doctor, do my postgraduate degree, become a great physician, okay? And then have lots of money, marry the most beautiful woman in this world. Is that, you know? I want you to tick all the boxes. Do you tick all the boxes? Do you want all your boxes ticked? Yeah? Everyone wants all their boxes ticked. I wanted to. All my boxes ticked. This is all that I wanted. I wanted to be wealthy and famous and, you know, enjoy life to the full. And I thought I was on the way to achieving all these things. I worked hard and I was on the way to achieving all these things. But to accept someone else as the Lord of my life, to give the control over to someone else, was a hard thing for me. It's hard, isn't it? Is it easy? 
Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But what happened is that I continued to spend time with God every day. You see, in those days, I was in medical school, you know, tough, you know, course, you know. And uh, so, but, but despite all that, I spent an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening studying the Word of God because I loved it. It was beautiful. I had not encountered anything like this before. And gradually, it dawned upon me that I was falling in love with this God of the Bible. It dawned on me that I was falling in love with him. You see, looking back, in hindsight, looking back at that situation, I understood that God never manipulated me. You know, there are so many promises in the Bible, but he didn't even give me one promise. He didn't say, Ensign, if you follow me, I'll do X, Y, Z to you. I'll make you this or that or anything. He didn't do any of those things. The only thing I experienced is his love flooding my life day in and day out. You know, his love for me was absolutely amazing. And I felt special before him. I felt, I was an ordinary lad, you know, ordinary boy, you know, man, or you could say, you know, but I felt special before him. And a time came in my life when I could not say no to this amazing love that was flooding my life every moment of my life. And I remember very vividly, you know, one night I went on my knees and I came to God and said, God, even if I don't become a doctor, even if I don't have this fantastic postgraduate degree, even if I don't have this most beautiful woman, even if I don't have a lot of money, you know, I want you in my life. So I imagine myself standing on the top of a cliff and there were so many things keeping me on the top of the cliff. My family relationships, my dreams, my vision for the future, my plan for the future. I cut all of them and I took a leap of faith and I said, God, here I come into your hands. You know, I give myself into your hands, okay? I gave myself lock, stock, and barrel, as they say, into God's hands. And so Jesus became my first love. I was around 20 years of age at that time. And from then on, it was not a question of, I'm proud of my God. It was, he is mine, and I am his. That's what it became. You know, he became so integral to my life. And I was sharing this with a friend of mine, you know, a few months ago. And she asked me, how can you do that? How can you do that? How can you entrust your life to someone else? How can you entrust the lordship of your life to someone else? And I said, it shouldn't astonish you. Because we see it happening all around us. Every day. Okay. A woman and a man meet. Okay. They fall in love. And then... This is what they say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, to love and to cherish until death do us part. They nail their colors to the mast. I nail my colors to the mast, to one who I loved, to the one who loved me with everything. You see, we do that all the time, you know. We agree, we commit. This is called commitment, okay? This is giving ourselves over. You see, where there is true love, there is also sacrifice, okay? Where there is true love, there is also sacrifice. So when I said, you know, without, without all my plans, I want you, I was saying, even if I don't have it, 
I want you. You are going to be the foremost in my life from now on. I didn't understand the meaning of the teaching that Jesus did you know, in Matthew 13. This is what he said. It was only later that I understood. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You discover something of great worth, and then you give up everything to have this one thing in your life. So I discovered this God who was of great worth, who was full of love, who was you know, willing to accept me as I was. And I left everything to be one with him. Hallelujah. So, what is first love? So Jesus became my first love. So I googled first love. Okay. So as we all do, I also did googling. And so this is first love. First love is the first person you want to be with. You can talk to them any time of the day or night. It's the person who you first see a future with and want to last. The person who you will never forget. The person who has uh, left an imprint on your heart and which will be there forever. There you go. That is the definition. Okay? Now, Shakespeare says, love is blind. What do you think? I should say, what saith thou? (laughs) Is that true? Is that right? Yeah. What? Yeah. Whatever. Is love blind? What do you think? English people, come on. Is love blind? No. Okay. For Shakespeare, that is true, but not for us. Okay. Was my love blind? No. Okay. You see, for love to be true, it has to be based on knowledge. It has to be anchored in solid stuff. Okay. To truly love, you need to know the person you are loving. Unless it's based on solid ground, it cannot last. You see, I was around 20 when I fell in love with God, when I fell, fell in love with Jesus. Now I'm going to be 55, more than 30 years. My love has only blossomed and flourished and increased and not decreased one bit. Okay? You know, things have, you know, difficult things happen in your life, in my life as well. But because I was on solid ground, because I knew, you know, the person whom I had entrusted my life to, I was not shaken. I'm here, okay? Solid, standing by the grace of God. Do you think God's love is blind? Is God's love blind? No. You see, we probably, you know, we think about us. If we have a son or a daughter, and they fall into difficult ways. What do we do? Do we, do we give up on them? No. We pray for them day in and day out. We put people in touch with them who can help them, who can support them. We do everything we can to restore them, to lift them up. And so is God. You see, only God knows that you and me are helpless. You see, I told you before, we have this inherited disease called sin in our lives. And because of this disease called sin, we are separated from God. 
And only God knows that we are helpless. We are helpless. Okay? And he has compassion on us. And that is why he came and paid the price to set us free from the grip of sin. And now, through his work on the cross, the way is open for each one of us, everyone in this world, to come to him. So his love is not blind. His love is not blind because his hands created us in his image. Okay? As far as he is concerned, each person in this world is his people. His people, created in his image. And that is why his love is true. His love is solid. Jesus says in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Even Jesus says, no blind love. No blind love allowed. You know? He says, guys, okay, love me not only with your heart, but also love me with your mind. That means he says, come and find me. Come and explore me. Come and get to know me. Okay? And then you come and have a relationship with me. Okay? He's saying, find out. Let your love be based on truth after knowing me. Hallelujah. And then he says in Matthew 10, anyone who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, is Jesus a jealous God? Is God a jealous God? No. This is a figure of speech. Am I right? The figure of speech or an expression saying that we need to have God as the first priority in our life. And then everything else fall into its rightful place. There are so many verses in the Bible that speak about honoring a father and mother and a wife and a children. Okay? God is not, you know, he's saying once you love me, once a true love comes into your life, then your love for everyone else will only increase. Hallelujah. That's what it means. And then Apostle John says in 1 John 4, he says, you know, there is no fear in love. But perfect love draws out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, if there is true love, there is no fear. Remember the Israelites, when they were in Egypt and God came and did fantastic miracles. He split the Red Sea. And they realized, this is God. They realized. But did they know God fully? They only wanted God for blessings. They only wanted good things from him. They wanted peace. They wanted food three times a day. Okay? They wanted you know, to be prosperous. They wanted to do well. They didn't want to have a relationship with him. And they were terrified of God. They thought this God is a terrible God. Okay? They told Moses, Moses, you deal with God and we will deal with you. But that is not how God is. God wants to have a relationship with every person in this world. It is not through a leader he wants to connect with you. He wants to connect individually with every person, whether you are big or small, poor or rich, of big standing or no worth in this world. He wants to connect with everyone. Hallelujah. And where there is true love, there is no fear. There is no fear. You don't do things in fear. You know, you do it in love. Hallelujah. So when I put God first in my life, what happens? Life started to look different. I had a friend with me 24-7. You see, Jesus said, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. 
So we had a God. We have a God with us. We have a friend with us 24-7. Just like you and me. I had weaknesses in my life. I had failures in my life. You know, And when I had those things, I could come to him and cry with him. I could uh, unburden myself. And then he would lift me up. He would restore me. He would comfort me. He would open right doors for me. Okay, So life started to look different. Priorities started to change. Decisions started to become different. Key decisions were done after consulting with God. You see, every key decision I've taken in my life, I have consulted God. And he speaks to, you know, he has spoken to me. I remember when I was 26 years of age, you know, and um, I had seen Sunu, my wife, and I had met her once, and she was a believer, and I didn't know whether she was the right person for me. How can I know? Okay? You know, maybe I could spend two years with her, and then, I, I don't know. Is that possible? I don't know. But I told him, I told God, God, you are my father. You know everything, and I want you to speak. Please speak to me and reveal if this person is going to be the right person for me. And he spoke. And as soon as he spoke, that is the loudest and clearest I've ever heard God. I went on my knees straight away and I said, yes, God. And after seeing, seeing her for the first time, I married her in three weeks' time. And I had only seen her three times. Okay? And here we are, 28 years down the line. Okay? And our romance has only flourished and increased and not decreased one bit. And that is because I involved my friend, my maker, my king, who says, I know everything. I know what is best for you. Hallelujah. When the time came for my daughter's wedding, she had just finished school. And God spoke about this lovely person you know, called Richard, okay? Richard Smith. And uh, God had been individually working in their lives as well. And he was working on multiple fronts. And then, you know, and as he always does. And uh, so we decided, okay, she was first year medical school. And after first year, she's going to get married. 19 years of age. I had a couple of pastors come to my house. And they told me, Ensign, you're doing a very, making a very bad decision. A very bad choice. Uh, I said, why? They said, you're spoiling her career. And I looked at them with astonishment. I said, you know, where, does, where in the Bible does it say career is of paramount importance, is of great importance? They had no words. I said, should I listen to my God, my friend, or should I listen to worldly opinion? So we went ahead. Wedding is done. And, you know, she passed all her exams every year. Okay? Both of them served the Lord. Richard is an elder of a church there in Ealing, London. The house is open to many, many people. She passed all her exams. She has graduated. She has got two ch- By the time she finished her degree, she has had two children as well. Okay? She is a registered doctor now. Okay? Hallelujah. Did the career, was the career affected? No. Life went on. Other things were of greater importance and the word of God was shared and preached and everything and life went on. Career took its rightful place. So with God in my life, career and all material things automatically found their rightful place. And I wanted to love him. And I said, God, the love that is in you, the passion that is in you, I want it in me as well. And I kept to keep on praying like this. And this agape love, this divine love, gave meaning to all other forms of love. So we have this brotherly love. We have this familial love. We have this romantic love. You know, this divine love gave meaning to 
all forms of love. And as I said, the romance has not diminished one bit. It's better than what it was 28 years ago. Hallelujah. That's it. Okay? And, uh, you know, because of this love that is flowing out through me, I keep on sharing the gospel with many, many people from, you know, wherever I go. And once, you know, just recently, a couple of months ago, a patient of mine asked me, you know, what do you get, you know, if you share this gospel like this? And I said, I don't get anything. And I do it because it just flows out of me. His love flows out of me. I want to tell everyone about this love, you know. This is for you. This is not just for me. It is for you. It's for everyone in the world. And just flows out of me. And that is what has happened when I put God first in my life. So finally, my friends, this Christian life is not a wishy-washy, jingle-jangle thing. Okay? (laughs) At its heart is a beautiful love story. It starts with God's love coming down to us. Then we respond to him in love. And then we choose with our mind, with our free mind, to be with him and live, live our lives with him. You see, choice is a beautiful and precious thing. Where there is true love, there is choice. And God has given us this choice. And there is no forceful conversion in Christianity. Nobody is born a Christian. You, when you are able to think, you choose to follow God or not. It's our choice. But he has done everything. He has opened the way for each one of us to come to him. And this divine love working in our life gradually changes us, making us more and more like him. To finish off, I just want to read a small text that I received. You know, uh, Vidya sent this yesterday and then my wife showed it to me. And um, so I just thought this would be relevant here. This is is what what she shared. Uh, the story, this forwarding, you know, lots of forwardings happening during this time, okay? A boy asked the father, what's the size of God? Then the father looked up to the sky and seeing an airplane asked the son, what's the size of that airplane? The boy answered, it's very small, I can barely see it. So the father took him to the airport and as they approached an airplane, he asked, and now what is the size of this one? The boy answered, wow, daddy, this is huge. Then the father told him, God is like this. His size depends on the distance between you and him. The closer you are to him, the greater he will be in your life. So my friends, okay, you come closer to God and you will feel the warmth of his love. Okay? You will feel you know, his love flooding your life. He is for everyone. He loves everyone. He cares for everyone. The door to heaven is open. The door to God is open. So come and explore and come and meet your God. Come and meet your friend. Come and meet your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your amazing, amazing, bountiful love. Love that is beyond our wildest imaginations, beyond our wildest understanding. Lord, we just thank you for washing us with your love. For your love washes us clean of your love, purifies us. Your love restores us. Your love cleanses us. And Lord, we just pray, I just pray, that you carry on pouring out your love into the lives of my brothers and sisters, into everyone here, and to the lives of everyone in this town. Lord, cause your love that is in us to flow out of us, Lord. Let it touch many hearts.
Let it go into many homes, Lord. Let it rescue many. And let the light of your kingdom, your glory come into many lives, many hearts. Oh, Father, do this beautiful thing, Lord. Bless each person present here, Lord. And Lord, this new year, we pray, Father, that the light of your kingdom will shine brightly in and through us. That your life will flow unceasingly through us, Lord. And Father, we just pray that life will be found in many, many lives. Lives will be found in many areas. And many will be added to your kingdom. Thank you once again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.